Today, I make a commitment. Today, I make a commitment. Today, I make a commitment. Today, I pledge to support the growth of Cornerstone. The growth of Cornerstone. To help them succeed. To help them succeed. By contributing monthly on top of my regular tithe. Cornerstone is not just trying to expand its building. It wants to reach those in my community. In my community. In my community. My coworker. My grandson. My mom. My neighbor. My sister-in-law. My daughter. My brother. My mailman. Or woman. To share the love of Christ. To share the love of Christ. By building new buildings. By expanding the worship center. By creating engaging environments. I am making room. I am making room. I am making room. Not only for current members, but for the future members of Cornerstone. But for the future members of Cornerstone. Join me. Join me. Join me. Join me. Invest with me. Invest with me. Invest with me. Help me reach my community. All to make Jesus more famous. All to make Jesus more famous. I'm all in. 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 Hey, good morning, Cornerstone. You guys did that better than every other service today. You are on. Maybe that extra couple hours of sleep worked. Uh, hey, we are standing in a super, super cool moment. I think we're about to have what I call a holy convocation, a, a moment in which you and I put feet to our faith and we say, look, this Jesus thing it goes a lot deeper than just what I acknowledge intellectually. It's what I base my life on. And I'm willing to live that out, flesh that out in my life. And I think many of you know we've been talking about uh, what it means to expand these buildings, to go forward, to create purple chairs so that people who don't have room in the room have the opportunity to come here and discover Christ and then grow up into being just radically, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do toward the end of the service today is we're going to ask you to take your pledge cards bring them forward and we're going to put them in these baskets together and we're going to exchange those cards for a brick. Every one of the bricks that we have right now represents a purple chair that we're trying to expand and put into the new uh, buildings as we do these. And so you and I are going to have a moment of just kind of coming forward and saying, look, this is what I believe. This is what my life is about. I'm, I'm part of this. And here's uh, what you and I are going to discover today that you and I, I believe, have a moment to create a definitive moment of legacy in our lives. That this is, this is bigger than just a building program. This is a moment for you and I to put a marker down in the ground that just simply says, look, this is who the Evans family is. We absolutely not only believe this stuff, we're, we're willing to live for this stuff and to create a legacy that our children and our children's children look back to this moment and said, look, this is who the Evans are. This is what the Evans do. When God gives a moment and invites you and I to join them, the Evans family steps into that moment and we join them. And you and I have the opportunity to create legacy together. Now, here's the deal. I've been sick all weekend. I, and uh, so if I say something in the next few minutes that offends you, do not write me an email. I'm simply going to blame it on the drugs, okay? <laughs> but my hope and my prayer today is that you and I would not miss this opportunity of legacy. Here's what, look, look. Moments of family-defining legacy are all too rare. 
The reality is you and I may only get one or maybe two moments like this in our entire lifetime to do something that is so obviously a part of joining God that it defines who we are and what our Christian walk is like. And the second thing that you and I are going to say real honestly to each other today is that legacy always involves sacrifice. You don't create a legacy casually. Legacy always comes on the other side of extreme commitment and a decision to do what ought to be done when others aren't doing it. It's that very action that creates a legacy for our children to follow and admire. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the passage. If you've been here, you know we've been doing a study in the book of Nehemiah, a moment in one of God's biggest building programs. And these guys have been knocking out of the park. The way that they've been behaving and what they've been doing is serving as a model for you and me on what we ought to do in this particular moment. And I think today is the most exciting day. I think today's the day you go, oh my goodness, these guys get it big time. So grab your Bibles. We're going to peek into how they behave in this moment and maybe get some instruction and even some encouragement in how you and I ought to behave today. So it's the book of Nehemiah. And let me help you out just in case you're not familiar. It's really not that hard to find and you're going to want to be there. So go to the very center of your Bible and then start working to the left. And don't go very fast because Nehemiah is not that far. It's Nehemiah uh, chapter 3. And here's what we're going to discover. And we've already kind of said it out loud. Legacy. Legacy doesn't come around every day. Matter of fact, these moments, to actually define who our family is, to do something in such a remarkable way that others look back and define their lives by how you and I behave, may come only once in a lifetime. Think about this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And most of us in the room know the story that the king of Babylon says, look, here's the deal. Uh, you're going to pray to our idols. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being followers of God, who've been taken captivity into Babylon, say, no, uh, there's just no way that we could do that. That would violate everything we believe about God. And so king, look, here's the deal. You can do anything you want to do to us, but we will not bow the knee and some of you who know the story know that the king is so furious in that moment. He has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound in ropes. He tells them to heat the furnace to seven times its normal temperature. The men who throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the service, into the furnace, die from the heat. And yet in that moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are spared. The ropes that are on them burn off. And a matter of fact, the witnesses say, although there were three thrown in, there was a fourth in the furnace who looked like the son of God. Now you get as best we can tell, that opportunity, that moment to live really, really well happens one time in the lifetimes of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because, 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 you ready? Because the opportunity to make a decision that is a defining moment of legacy doesn't come around every day. It's Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. And some men who are trying to find fault with Daniel go to the king and they come up with this scheme that says, look, Daniel's getting too powerful. He's getting too much influence with the king. The only way that we're ever gonna find any cause against this guy is if we can find cause with his God. So let's have the king declare 
that Daniel has to pray to the king because within the Babylonian culture, they believed that the king was a deity. So let's, let's make a decree, okay, that you have to pray to the king for 30 days. We know Daniel won't do it. And sure enough, the king, not thinking through, makes the decree. And now they come and they catch Daniel praying just like he had always prayed every time before that. And they bring him before the king and they say, king, look, here's the deal. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, you can't go back on the king's decree. And here's Daniel following his God despite what the king has decreed. And the king is forced to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And you know the story. That the next morning, a pagan king rooting for Daniel goes to the mouth of the den and says, Daniel, Daniel, tell me please that your God has spared you. And Daniel calling up out of the lion's den says, king, my God has been gracious. He's closed the mouths of the lions. The king in turn takes the men who schemed and caused him to make the decree, throws them into the lion's den. They are immediately eaten alive. And then the king decrees, you ready for this? A pagan king. Everybody, everybody in Persia will now worship the God of Daniel. A life-changing legacy moment. But here's the deal, as far as we know, that opportunity came once in the life of Daniel. Here's all I'm saying, guys. That moments to create legacy, moments to establish who your family is and where you're going and who we will be, that your children and children's children look back to the future and say, that's who the Evans are, that's who the Johnsons are. Don't come around every day. And I believe that you and I stand in a moment of legacy. You and I stand in a defining moment for our church, and I believe many of us stand in a defining moment for our family that would say, hey, in the moment when God asked, in the moment when God invited, our family was one of the families that stepped into the gap. It's exactly what these men do in the time of Nehemiah. So here it is. <clears throat> it's Nehemiah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, let's be honest. How many of you, when you get to places in the Bible where there's a list of names, you skip that chapter and you read the next one? Okay. This is one of those moments. This is one of those moments in which these men's names are going to be listed. listed. Why? 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 Think about this. Why? Because they saw the moment in which God was inviting and they changed the tide. They created a legacy. They stepped in, and so out of honor to them and honor the moment, we're just going to read some of the names here. Here it is. It's uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'm going to mess some of these up because this is the only time they're even mentioned in the Bible. Okay, here it is. Nehemiah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Elishabib, the high priest and his fellow priests, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, the son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hanesah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section next to Mishalam. 
the son of Berechiah, the son of Mesezabel, blow, 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 made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Benaiah, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jesana gate was repaired by Jodah, Jodah, son of Paseah, and Meshullam, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place next to them. And then it goes on. The entire third chapter is the list. Now, guys, here's what you need to think about. These guys, of all the guys in the world, you would never expect these guys to make the list. These guys are the scrags. These guys are, I think, when Babylon, when Babylon conquered Israel, they took every person off who had any value whatsoever. The only people they left behind in Jerusalem were the too old, the too young, and the too weak to make the trip back to Babylon. These guys are their descendants. They are the scrubs. They are average, average, average Joe as average, maybe even sub-average Joe. And yet, get this, get this, get this. In this moment, they're going to make the list that God says what they did because they saw a moment to step forward in obedience to God and do what others were unwilling to do and being willing to sacrifice to be part of it. God said, your names will forever be remembered. We will put your names in holy scripture. And never mind that a lot of Christians are going to skip over it. You made the list. How cool is that? They made the list. You and I stand in a moment in which you and I have the opportunity to do exactly what they did. Is to say, God, this isn't about my human capacity. This isn't about my pedigree. This is about hearing the voice of God speak and simply saying, as for me and my house, as for me and my, we're going to step into this moment with God, which is one of the reasons, guys, and you've heard us talking about this, that when you bring your pledge cards forward today, we're going to exchange them for a brick. And after we do that, we're going to put your family name on that brick. Not for pride's sake, for legacy's sake. That in the days to come, you will walk your children and your grandchildren to a place of memorial. And they'll say, here's what the Evans family does. When they get the opportunity to step in and follow God, Evans's step in. Our name is on the list. How many times in your life? Will you get the opportunity to create a family legacy? Maybe once, maybe twice in a lifetime. I don't know if you caught it. There were actually guys who opted out. There were guys who said, no, 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 no. We're not going to be part of it. Matter of fact, uh, go back with me to verse five. Here's what it says. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. 
Why not? I mean, why would, why would you pass a moment to do something that lasts beyond your life? Why would you miss a moment of legacy? And I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe they just didn't like the way the plan was unfolding. Maybe the elders at Tekoa said, look, if it had been up to us, we would have started in the southeast corner. You guys are starting in the northwest. I don't like the plan. Maybe they were just lazy. Maybe they were unwilling to sacrifice. I don't know. But here's my guess. My guess is the elders at Tekoa think they're really smart because here's what they're thinking. We don't have to do any work and then we get to enjoy the benefits. See, we've come up with excuses why not to do it. It's interesting because this last week I, I heard about a family that, that had said, hey, we're not sure if we're going to be in on the building program at all or not because we don't like debt. Now, maybe because I went to public school, maybe I don't understand the moment. But, but here's what I'm thinking. If you don't care for debt, which I don't care for debt, but if you don't care for debt... I can't think of why that would be any sort of a reason not to be in on the building program. Matter of fact, here's what I'm thinking. If you don't like debt, that should mean that you would actually be motivated to give way, way more than anybody else. If you don't like debt, because every dollar you give would be a dollar less debt. Did you know that if every family that calls Cornerstone home simply tithed, we wouldn't have a building program? If every family that calls Cornerstone home simply tithed, we'd be paying cash for the building right now. And my prayer is simply this, that in just a few moments, that any of us who up until this moment have behaved like elders of Tekoa, we'd suddenly get in. See, here's, here's what I would have said if I had been there with Nehemiah in the moment to these men who thought they were being really smart. And here's, here's what they're saying. They're saying, look, we don't have to do any of the sacrifice. We don't have to participate in any of this. And we're still going to get the benefits of the wall. And I would have said to them, you're missing the point. How many times in your life do you get the opportunity to join God and create a legacy to create an example that your kids and your kids' kids will look to and say, that's what my family's about. When the wall is done and you're walking around the wall and dads, when your son turns to you and says, dad, which part of the wall did you build? If you're an elder of Tekoa, what are you going to say? And I'm just going to say out loud to you. You don't get that many times in your life to create a family legacy. Build your section of the wall. I told you that family legacies don't come cheap. See, here's the reality of this. You, you don't ever create a legacy casually. Legacy is born of sacrifice and hardship. 
See, if, if you're saying, well, you know, what's the minimum? It's the wrong question. It ought to be, what do I need to do? What would God have me do? Because legacy is always born of sacrifice and faithfulness. Some of you know the story that when I was nine years old, my parents divorced. My mom was left with four children, the youngest of which, Diane, was autistic. And I watched as a young man, my mother get up at 4.30 in the morning to drive my autistic sister, Diane, to East Mesa, because that's where her special needs school was. And guys, just to just tell you how old I am, they hadn't built the 60 yet, let alone the 101, let alone the 202. There wasn't a 60. So my mom is driving at rush hour, surface streets, to take my baby sister to school. She then has to turn in rush hour, drive past our home again in Tempe, drive to 19th Avenue in McDowell to her job as a receptionist in a doctor's office earning $2.40 an hour. When her workday is done, she gets back into rush hour traffic, drives surface streets past our home in Tempe, drives out to East Mesa, picks up my baby sister and gets home about 7.30. Can I tell you that my family, <clears throat> my family growing up was the second Saturday family. See, the men of the church would come to our family and they would help repair my mom's car. They'd bring us cans they had gotten from the grocery store that the labels had fallen off because the grocery store couldn't sell it. And so they'd say, hey, we know some people who need that. We'll give it to the Winters family. So it'd come to dinner time. You'd open up an unlabeled can. Oh, beets for dinner. You. But here's what I'll tell you. Watching the faithful sacrifice of my mom you ask a winter's kid, and we know from the tip of our toes to the top of our head that if you are faithful to God, that God will be faithful to you. And I'm just going to tell you guys, legacy is never born in comfort. It is always bedrocked by sacrifice. This isn't a question of how easy do I get out of it. This is a question of how deep do I want the story to run in my family. Matter of fact, watch what these guys do. Go, go back to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse uh, 12. Here's what's happening. Sanballat, who we talked about last week, apparently, as best we can tell from the passage, has now gotten so frustrated that they're building the wall, he's actually siding with the enemies of Israel, and he's giving them intel on how to raid the wall. And so the plot is, when they're not looking, we're going to sneak in and stop the construction. So here it is. It's Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them. So get the moment. There are Jewish families who are not living inside of Jerusalem. They're living closer to where the enemies live. And they're hearing the scheme taking place. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over to so go, look, man, we were getting all sorts of intel here, all sorts of information. These guys are coming for you. <clears throat> Wherever you turn, they will attack. So here's the plan. The second you turn away and decide to go get lunch, the moment your back is turned, the, the moment you need to go get some more supplies for your section of the wall, the moment you turn your back, that's exactly where they're going to attack. <clears throat> Verse 13. 
Therefore, I stationed some people behind the lowest parts of the wall, our weakest and most vulnerable points, and at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord your, who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your own homes. When our enemy heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials, get this, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet <clears throat> stayed with me. Now get the moment. These guys have already mortgaged their farms. Remember we said last week, they didn't have a crop. They had no way to feed their families. So they've mortgaged their farms so that they could feed their own families food. Their lives have been put at risk. They're willing to die for this project. And now, and now you ready? Now the work has slowed to a snail's pace because half the men can't even work on the project. They're, sh they're keeping guard. The ones that are actually working are sitting there with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. It, it's moving ahead fractionally. And yet here's the deal, guys. They are still in. They are absolutely undaunted, unfazed, and fully committed to doing what God has asked them to do. Why? Why? I think the answer is in verse 14. <clears throat> Here's what it says. This is Nehemiah talking. He says, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember why we're doing this. Remember who asked. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And you ready? And fight. Fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters and your wives and your homes. Guys, I guarantee you, every one of us in this room has got someone who hasn't made it to the room yet. We've got sons and daughters and neighbors and coworkers who still haven't figured out this story of Jesus. Or nieces and nephews who spent their entire life being baby Christians and being in this room would be the best thing because they would for the first time would learn maturity and start growing and their marriages would be changed and their children would be blessed. Every one of us. And in the words of Nehemiah, fight. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your coworkers. Because chances are some of us in this room are their best chance. 
Now I get it. I get that there's something and you go, look, Lynn, my kids have moved away. They're living in Seattle or they're living in Austin right now. And you know, it doesn't make any sense for me to buy a purple chair for them. They'll never be in that purple chair. Now I get it. But why not say to God, God, I'll do my part in this place. I'll provide a purple chair for someone else's son, for someone else's daughter. And I'll pray that you'll honor my faithfulness there in Austin, there in Seattle, that a church there would talk to my child, would invite my child. And my prayer is, is that when they go, there'd be a chair for them. You and I are talking about those rare opportunities in life when you and I can step into obedience to God and create a lasting legacy. It's interesting because we actually heard from some of our young people who are buying in, who are saying, man, this just makes absolute sense to us. And we made a video of a couple of them. So let us show it to you right now. We first came to Cornerstone when Josh was a baby. Josh has been dedicated and that was a, a great time in his life. It was really a neat time where Pastor Lynn prayed that he would be, you know, the man that God created him to be. Right from the beginning, Josh's personality was very outgoing, very adventurous. Um, soon as a young kid, he was always showing that he cared about others and was just very friendly and outgoing. My mom is on staff and uh, I just found opportunities to just help her out with her like daily needs. From very early, Riley was kind and compassionate and she was she's the oldest of three. So she always had to take on that role of, of being the helper. She was really good um, in helping in situations and getting involved where uh, she could show her compassion and caring. Uh, it was very natural for her. I worked in Studio 14. I taught the third and fourth grade girls. Now I work in the cafe and I'm also a high school student leader. Josh's faith has developed over the years, definitely um, how he has chosen to live it out. It really has become his own. It hasn't just become something that he does, it's something that he is. And now he's serving and helping these kids know that they need to take um, their faith to the next level and make it more personal. With Riley's faith, uh, this past summer when she had the opportunity to go to Kenya on a mission trip, I was able to go with her and really uh, watch her uh, faith uh, in action. We got to go hang out with the kids at Haruma Orphanage. It was so much fun. We got to connect with a lot of the high school students there. It was life-changing. You came back like a whole different person. With her role in the cafe, she used her strengths because she's that first friendly face, so she likes people to feel welcome and included right away, and she likes them to be happy. This is my first job, is the cafe, so I think it's a really great first job that I get to work somewhere that I feel so comfortable in. It's really cool that even me just saying, hi, welcome to Cornerstone, can help them have a better experience here. When I stepped up to, to junior high, I luckily had some of the same kids in my, in my group like they started out in fifth grade as just little goofballs just throwing bean bags at me and whatever and now they're reading their Bibles every day. I've always had such great leaders just pulling into my life, taking time off work, texting me, just really caring about me which is very unique in such a big church that they would care about individuals like that. I think just growing up in the church and just the whole community of a cornerstone has really helped me grow and want to serve. And it's just a really cool thing to see like them step up in maturity and I just can't wait to see how far they grow and how far they go and impact the kingdom of God.
You want to hear something really cool? Both five percenters. Second generation cornerstoners who understand the value and the power of legacy. I got a, I got a letter this last week. Let me read this to you. It says, good morning. I actually live in Chandler and started to attend Cornerstone last summer when I received a flyer in the mail about offensive parenting. I came by myself and that actually led me to join Man Church on Thursday nights. The hard part is that I split my time between Chandler and Alaska. I work for ConocoPhillips and we do resource extraction about 250 miles north of the Atlantic Circle where I work two weeks on and two weeks off. I go to services when I'm home and I stream the others when I'm at work. Pretty amazing things have been happening in my life in the last 10 months and I can't really explain why or how. The job is great, met an amazing woman and actually our second date was going to Sunday service at Cornerstone. But for a guy who never spent time in church before, Cornerstone has somehow become a big part of my life. I'm not going to be back in Chandler next week, but I want to buy a brick and to say how thankful I am to have Cornerstone in my life. I can do the 150 a month. What do I need to do? Tell me that 16-year-olds and 19-year-olds and baby Christians aren't the only ones of us that get legacy. Tell me that this is just the tip of the iceberg of a movement that God is about to do with us. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna spend a moment putting feet to our faith and we're gonna bring our pledge cards forward this morning. Let me walk you through the pledge card because it can be a little bit confusing. They're in the seat backs if you forgot to bring them today or if your dog ate it, okay? So uh, I can help you with that. Just check the seat back out. Matter of fact, if, if for some reason it's not there, if you'll raise your hand, we've got ushers. They'll come. They'll give you one of these pledge cards to fill out. So here's, here's the easiest way to work through it. Go down to the second line where it says twice monthly for 72 payments. And if you've been in the room for a while, here's what you know. We have been saying to everybody who has any form of leadership here in our church, anybody who serves faithfully here at church, we've said to them, hey, would you consider giving 5% above your normal tithes and offerings? So whatever you normally give, would you increase it by 5% of your salary? We then said to the rest of the room, for those of us that say, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm just the average person here. I, I'm, I'm just kind of part of it. And would you follow the courageous example of your leaders? Would you consider doing 3% above what you normally give. 3% of your salary above your normal giving to the church. Now look, here's the deal. Hundreds of us don't tithe. And I, my guess is that most of us have said, hey, at some point I need to step into obedience. What better time, what better moment to create a legacy for your family and to choose this moment to say, look, I, I, I'm, just, I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take 3% toward my tithe I'm going to take that step. It doesn't add up in my checking account. I'm not sure how this works. But by faith, I'm going to step in and begin to believe and obey God in a better way in my life. And so today I'm going to commit 3% above what I normally give just to get my life that much closer to the tithe.
We also said to you, hey, if you're struggling with all that, if you can't possibly imagine that, then if you were to give $75 every paycheck, $150 a month, you would actually buy a purple chair for somebody over the course of three years. And so we said, at the very least, would you consider doing that? $75 a paycheck, $150 a month, you'd buy somebody else a purple chair. If you're a single mom or a single dad, we said, look, $38 would be your part. And you, you could help carry the load and move a brick today. If you go just a little bit further down, it says, uh, as a one-time gift. Now, here's what we've calculated. From where we are today, it costs about $5,400 to buy a purple chair. There are some of us in the room and you've got some assets. You, you've got some cash available. And, and some of us, you could buy five purple chairs. You could do that in a one-time check. Some of us in the room, you could buy one chair today at 5,400 and then you could keep your monthly pledge and buy a second chair. So that's what the one-time gift is. What would you do one time beyond the monthly? And then down below that, it says description of assets. Some of us have some land and you might say, hey, look, I'll just donate that land in Pine Top or I've got a car and I was gonna turn, you know, trade it in, but instead I'll give it to the church or you know, some of us have stocks and bonds and you just say, look, I, I've got some assets. Some of you are involved in construction. I had a gentleman in the lobby last hour said, hey, I, how much iron are you gonna do? How much steel work? I, I, I could donate some steel to this thing. So you may have that opportunity and you can say, hey, here's some assets that I can bring to the table. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you a moment to consider if you haven't talked this over with your spouse right now, is a good time to elbow them. Say, hey, what are we gonna do? And then whatever God lays on your heart, I'm gonna ask you to have the courage and the boldness to do that. And then we're gonna bring these cards forward. We're gonna put them in the basket. We're gonna exchange them for a brick. And then we're gonna go back to our seats because we're gonna do something really, really cool right after that, okay? So you bring the card, you trade it for a brick, you go back to your seats. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, we just simply come before you today, believing that we stand in a moment that could literally define who we are as a church. We were living in a legacy moment for our families that we could walk the wall and point and say, guys, that's what the Smith family did. That's what the Robinsons did. There's our brick. Because when God spoke, your family was in. This is who we are. This is who we're going to be. When God calls the Evans step up, God help us to create a defining moment for our kids and our kids' kids to look to in their lives. God, would you move the hearts of the elders of Tekoa that nobody in the room would say, hey, I'm going to watch others sacrifice and then I'm going to enjoy the fruits of the labor. God, help us all to find a trowel. Help us all to take our place along the wall. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So finish filling out the cards. I just wanna to say to you that if you've already made a pledge, then you can just put your name on the card. Don't fill it out again. Just put your name on the bottom. We'll know what that means. And then when you're ready, you'll get up out of your seat. You'll walk forward to a basket. You'll trade the card for a brick and then you'll head back to your seat again. And then I'll tell you what we're gonna do next. It's really, really cool. Here we go.
cool is this moment? Yeah. yeah. I, I just want to tell you how super proud I am to be your pastor. And to watch us in a moment say, man, I'm just going to step in. I'm not going to let a moment that God offers in the life of our church and the life of our family go by. I'm in and I'm going for it. I'm going to create a legacy for our church and for my family. Here's what we're going to do together right now. You and I are going to take our bricks. We're going to head right out those doors. We've started a wall, just like in Nehemiah's time, and we're building that wall. Our best understanding is we needed to move about 1,300 bricks today. So you're going to take them out there. You're going to hand them to one of the masons that are at the wall. They're going to place that brick in the wall. When you come back next Sunday on Easter Sunday, you're going to be able to look at the wall. And if there's still bricks on the ground, you'll know we still have work to do. If that wall's finished and there's no bricks on the ground, you'll know we made it. You'll know where we got to on the deal. How fun would that be to walk on campus next Sunday and have that wall done? That'd be a good day, wouldn't it? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand up together. We're going to head out that way. We're going to go build some walls right now. Take your bricks. Hey, God bless you.